Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to get into that portion of Scripture, but I'd like to pray. And I wonder if for just a moment, and I know I'm doing this a little bit backwards because we usually do this at the end of service, but I'm wondering if there's just anybody here right now that, man, you just need prayer for strength. Strength in what you're experiencing. Strength in what you're going through. Strength in what you have to confront. Strength in some of the decisions that you need to make. But you need strength this morning. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet right where you're at. Just real quickly. You need strength right now. Maybe, maybe you're here today. And I just... I just discerned that the Holy Spirit wants me to ask you if maybe you're going through that turbulence that Nick so powerfully put before us here today, that maybe what you're going through in your marriage or in your family or with your children or maybe with your parents or your business or it might even be your finances or relationships outside of your household, but man, there's turmoil and there's turbulence and man, you just, you just need peace today. And if that's you, I want you to stand to your feet and say, man, pastor, that's that's me. I'm going through some turbulence, and I need some peace in my life. And one last thing that I feel God wants me to pray over here today. Maybe you're just struggling financially. This, this pandemic has really hurt you. It's hurt your finances, your ability to work. It might have even cost you your job, and I'm so sorry that it has, but I just want to pray that God would continue to meet your need according to His riches and glory. And so I want to pray for you. Maybe you need prayer over finances. Would you stand to your feet or maybe raise your hand and say, man, I'm in all three of those categories. I need prayer for strength. I need prayer for peace. And I need financial help right now. And I believe that God is Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. And if that's you at home and you're watching us at home, we're just going to come together as a family of God and we're going to pray. Come on. How many know that it's good to come to the house of the Lord? And to come into agreement in prayer. And so, come on. The Bible says that whatever you ask for, believing in the name of Jesus according to his will, you shall receive it. Now, we might not receive it in the way that we want to receive it. We might not even receive it in the time frame that we want to receive it. We might not even like the answer that God gives us because a lot of times the answers aren't yes. In fact, a lot of times the answers are no. And I just want us to learn how to be content with whatever answer God gives us. But whatever it is, I just want to pray for you. Then we're going to get into the word this morning. And I just thank God for everyone that's here with us live and everybody that's watching us online. Let's bow our heads and let's take this time before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you see the condition of our hearts and you know the struggles that we all deal with. Father, I believe that there's a massive spiritual assault happening against your bride, against your church, against the leaders of this church and those that, that would call this family of believers, their family, their church. Father, right now I pray for strength where strength is needed. Lord, that you strengthen marriages, that you strengthen relationships, that you strengthen resolve, Lord God, that you strengthen feeble bodies, that you strengthen our minds, God, that we put on the mind of Christ in this season so that we can experience the peace that only you can give us, the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so, Lord, I pray to the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, for peace to overwhelm 
every single situation and circumstance in our life. God, that you would give us peace so that we would have restful nights. That you would give us peace so that we would not be anxious. So that you would give us peace so that we would not feel depression. God, that we would experience the peace that frees us in you, God. Lord, I pray, God, for financial blessing, Lord God, and sustenance, Lord, over your children. Lord, we know that you are our provider, that if you provided for the flowers and the birds of the air, you would provide for your children, for you give your kids good gifts. And so, Lord, I pray, God, for every need to be met, Lord God. And Lord, I just thank you for that. And I pray over this morning and over this time in your word, God, that you would instruct us, that you would correct us, that you would rebuke us, that you would encourage us and equip us. And we thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on. Everybody said amen. Thank you, worship team. I appreciate you. If, if, if you're new to Restoration Life or you just joined us today, we're in Luke chapter 4, and, and we've been in this this study of Jesus being prepared for his purpose. And one of the things that we talked about last week is that in this season of wilderness that Jesus was experiencing, one of the main focuses that we drove home last week is found in Luke chapter uh, 4, verses 1 and 2. This is the wilderness experience of Jesus after he had received the baptism of, of John. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. One of the first things, just to catch up real quick, that we talked about last Sunday is that we need to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. We need to stay spirit-filled, and we need to stay spirit-led. Now, I don't believe that you can leak the Spirit of God. I believe the moment that you get saved and you turn your heart, mind, and life over to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that He comes in you, and He seals you for the day of redemption, and as the paraclete of heaven, He walks alongside of you, Every day of your life, whether you feel him or not, the very person of the Holy Spirit is always there. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's faithful. And no matter what we go through, he's right there to respond to you and to me in our times of need. So I understand that I am a spirit-filled, holy spirit-filled believer, but I also know that I do not, I am not allowing my flesh to lead my life, but I'm allowing the person of the Holy Spirit to lead me and to guide me, to direct me, and to instruct me, and to remind me of his living word every single day of my life so that I can make quality decisions, so I can respond in, in, in righteousness and not unholiness. Am I talking to anybody here this morning? We need to stay spirit-filled, and we need to stay spirit-led, and this is one of the main things that we learned last Sunday from Jesus. He was driven into the wilderness to do spiritual warfare 
against Satan. Romans 8.15 reminds us that you and I did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit of self bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How many of you thank God for that? Come on. I thank God for that. And one of the things that I've come to realize, especially in 2020, is that, that if we do not allow ourselves to remain spirit-led, what we'll find ourselves doing is distancing ourselves from the very spirit or the very leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, this has happened before. And it will continue to happen, I think, until the Lord Jesus Christ comes because we are all living in this tent, living in this body that's made up of flesh that desires, that desires to do complete opposite of what God desires for our life. It's interesting because Peter the Apostle, when he was walking with Jesus, was told by Jesus that Satan was looking to sift him. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus warned that Satan had asked permission to sift the, the disciples. And so we know and we knew that there was a vigorous shaking um, that was going on amongst the disciples when Jesus was arrested and they were preparing him for the, for the cross. And the same devil that sought out to sift the disciples of Christ, the same devil that sought out to sift the purpose of Christ in the disciples of Christ is the same devil that you and I are constantly in combat with. And so when he sifts, he shakes things up. And so the enemy wanted to shake Peter's faith in hopes that he would fall away like chaff that needs to be burned away. Peter fervently believed in the promise that he made to Jesus in Mark 14, 29, when he said, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. In other words, what he was saying, look, Jesus, I'm down for you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you. I'll always be for you. But when Jesus was arrested and Peter was watching, the Bible teaches us something about what Peter did that set him up for denial. Because I want you to hear this clearly this morning. There is a massive danger in allowing distance between you and Jesus Christ. There is massive danger involved when you and I distance ourselves from the presence of God, from the Word of God, from the will of God, and the purposes of God on our lives. You see, Satan doesn't care if you follow Jesus as long as it's from a distance. Because there are a lot of people that follow Jesus today, but I think you and I being mature adults can discern the difference between somebody who's close to Jesus and somebody who's been walking a distance from Jesus. I think you could see the temperature of their faith change. 
I think that you could see the way that they, that they live their life might be slightly different from those that have distanced themselves between them and God. Matthew 26, verse 57 through 58 says this, Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Cephas, the high priest where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. Listen, the devil doesn't care if you come to church as long as you stay ineffective. The devil doesn't come to church if you follow Jesus as long as you're not being fruitful. The devil doesn't come, doesn't care if you lift up your hands, clap your hands, and are generous from your heart with your treasure, with your time, with your talent, as long as you have already aborted your purpose in Christ. And the further and further away that you and I get from Jesus, the easier and easier it becomes to deny him. The Bible says that when Jesus was arrested and he was taken to Cephas' house, that Peter kept his distance because he wanted to see what the outcome was going to be. It's as if Peter was like, well, as long as they don't beat him and kill him and crucify him, then I could still follow him and be one of his disciples. But there was fear that gripped Peter's heart and so he distanced himself in order to see what the outcome would be. Now, how does that relate to you and I today? I think that the enemy wants to keep you and I at a distance away from the presence of God, from the purpose of God, from the anointing of God, because if he can keep you far from God, then he can cause you to deny God in every area of your life. And so the more you distance yourself from Jesus, the more or the easier it becomes to deny Jesus. What does this look like practically? Well, in the church today, the way that it practically looks like is maybe one time you were on fire for God. You prayed, you studied your Bible, you worshiped, you served, you were generous in your giving, you loved on people, you were there, you, God was using you, and then something took place, and it caused you to take a step back, and now you're no longer serving, and now you're no longer really praying as much as you used to, you're no longer really studying out the Word of God. You're not really kind of in fellowship with anybody. Church on Sundays doesn't become as important as it used to be anymore. And now you start to distance yourself a little bit more and a little bit more until finally the enemy finds you at a distance and he's like, hey, doesn't this make sense that maybe you should pursue this now with your life because pursuing Jesus will only get you into trouble. But if you pursue me, man, I'll give you everything you've ever wanted. Because that's exactly what Satan was trying to do to Jesus in the wilderness. Just follow me and I'll make you famous. Just follow me and the whole world will bow down and worship you. Just follow me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. And this is what Satan's tactic was on Jesus. And let me just say, this is Satan's tactic on God's people. Can I still talk about the devil in church in 2020? 
Can I still talk about the will of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the power of God, the anointing of God in 20? Can we still call sin out for what it is? Because the further and further away we get from God, the easier and easier it becomes to sin. To make bad decisions. You know, you're just one bad decision from losing everything you've ever loved in life. And if he can distance you from God by tempting you away, what ends up happening is that you find yourself where Peter found himself. Right? At one time, you're like, God, I'm down for you. God, I'll never leave you. I'll never stop serving you. I'll always believe in you. To start distancing yourself and go, well, let me just see what's going to happen in the church in 2021 before I yes, say yes to anything. I'm so grateful that I'm a part of a church that's filled with people that believe that we are essential. And just in case you were wondering, we are not closing down. We don't have to close down. The Supreme Court of our government said that we are essential. So as long as... So as long as you believe that and you show up to church on Sunday or you show up online, we're going to continue to be who we're supposed to be, the church of Jesus Christ. That's who we are going to continue to be. And so, so God instructs us to stay spirit-filled and stay spirit-led and, and just to know that we, have been, we are to, to fall under the leading of the Holy Spirit. We don't allow culture to lead us. We don't allow government to lead us. We don't even allow fashion to lead us or movie stars to lead us. We don't allow celebrity pastors to lead us. We allow the Holy Spirit of God and his living word to lead us. That's who we are. And as long as we stay spirit-led, we will be led into the purpose and will of God throughout the rest of our life. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be any heartache. That doesn't mean that we're not going to experience casualty. That doesn't mean that we're not going to go through difficult times. That doesn't mean that we're not going to lose our jobs, maybe. That doesn't mean that we might not have a rift in relationships. That doesn't mean that we're not going to come under assault of any kind. What that does mean is that we are constantly moving forward in the will of God for the purpose of God and understand that we are in a spiritual battle, that this is a spiritual warfare. And when you're fighting in a war, you can't be hyperly sensitive over everything that's being said. Because I feel like that's our culture right now. We're just sensitive. Just Man, don't say that. Don't do that. Don't, don't show that. Don't, don't preach that. Don't pray that. Don't believe that because somebody's going to get hurt. It's a 40-year-old in the back right now. Just, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't take the baby out. We love babies in our church. So let's stay spirit-filled, stay spirit-led, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. Number two, we didn't get to this last week, but we'll get to finish this today. Let me say this again. In God's sovereignty, God is in control. God is in control. Now you're like, like, is he controlling every situation or circumstance? No, he allows what he allows. But God is going to see fulfilled what he sent his word out to fulfill. And so no matter what it looks like, what it feels like, what it seems like, God is still in control. Jesus is still on the throne. He's still king of kings and lord of lords regardless of what takes place in our lives. 
I love what it says that when it says that in Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. God controlled the setting. When God drove Jesus into this into the wilderness, He controlled the setting. He controlled the situation. God knew already that Satan was waiting for Jesus in the wilderness. God allowed Satan to come against Jesus, and God allowed Jesus to fight Satan in the wilderness. God controls the setting. God was completely in charge of the environment. God foreknew that during this time, Satan would be attacking his beloved son in order to disqualify him from being the perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb that we needed him to be in order to redeem us back to himself. If, if Satan can cause Jesus to sin, then Jesus would not have been the sinless savior and be able to fully pay the price for the redemption of all mankind for the whosoever's of this world. So what was hanging in the balance in the wilderness was the soul of man. And that is what Jesus was fighting for. This is the same Satan, Satan who thought that he could take over heaven and, and, and dethrone God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. This is the same Satan who schemes against you and I daily, trying to lure you away with empty promises that only lead to heartache and eternal separation from the Father. And I believe that Satan thought that if he could get, if he could get Jesus to sin, and if Jesus would have sinned, he would have no longer been able to be our perfect sacrifice. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says it this way. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he experienced that same weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was perfect in every way. He was perfect. He never ever sinned. First John chapter 3, verse 4 through 9 says it this way. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he prepared, that, I'm sorry, that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. It's a good place to say amen. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Oh, that's so good. When you give your life to Jesus and you surrender your heart to Jesus, you were a sinner, but you've been transformed by the power of the blood of Jesus and you're no longer a sinner. The Bible declares you a saint. Now that doesn't mean you're perfect, but you are being perfected. And what that means is that you're never gonna be perfect until you're in heaven. But when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as a sinner you were, he sees you as a new creation, because all things have passed away, all things have become new, and you are no longer a sinner, but you are a saint, and a saint in Christ. Now that doesn't mean that you'll never make a mistake. That doesn't mean that you might not stumble and trip throughout the rest of your life. But what that does mean is that we don't premeditatedly look to go out and live a life of sin anymore because that's not who we are. 
So the Bible continues to say, no one who abides in him, lives in him, walks with him, lives with him, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. This is a really good way to distinguish saints from sinners. Because a saint isn't going to keep on sinning, a sinner will. Right? And if a saint calls himself, or if a sinner calls him saying a saint, but he keeps on sinning, then the Bible is very clear that they're not, that they never even knew him. What they may have had was just a counterfeit emotional conversion. All right, let me keep reading. <laughs> Little children, verse 7. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the works of the devil. Come on. If, if you're a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, if you're born again, Jesus has destroyed the work of the devil in your life. Destroyed it. Obliterated it. It's no longer there. Man, I love scripture. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Any born-again Christians in the house this morning? Come on, aren't you glad? Come on, aren't you glad that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the sin of your past? Come on, he sees the righteousness of Christ on your life. I thank God for Jesus and the work that he performed on the cross. Thank God that, that Jesus went and fought Satan on my behalf for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. I thank God that I'm not... I'm not trying to live this life out on my own, trying to just have a good life filled with moral behaviors, but I'm led by the presence of God because I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, and I'm being led by the Holy Spirit of God to do and to say the things that I'm supposed to say and do as a believer. And so God knew what Jesus was stepping into because God allowed it. He didn't prompt Satan to do it, but he allowed it. Someone here this morning needs to hear this loud and clear. In the same way, I don't believe that God causes evil, but God does allow it. For whatever reason, God has allowed us to live in this pandemic. He's allowed us. I'm reminded that God won't ever allow us to go through things that we are not capable of surviving with his help. But let me just say this. We are going to go through some things that without him, we will be destroyed. We will be destroyed. But with him, we will survive. Now, survive doesn't necessarily mean that we go on living in this life because I'm reminded that we're not promised tomorrow. In fact, as of recently, more, more often than not, every time I open my eyes and I take a breath, I'm like, first thing that comes out of my mouth is, thank you, Jesus. Because I know I'm not promised tomorrow. I know that life 
is a vapor. But I also know that, that, that when God calls me home, he's going to call me home. And heaven isn't second best. I don't need a fast pass to heaven. But I do know that heaven isn't second best. I don't know about you, but I would prefer to be in heaven than anywhere else. But I'm not going to hurry its coming. Because I know that God still has a plan and a purpose for all of us together for the season that we're alive. Listen, we, for those of us that are under 50 years old, man, we've had a great run until COVID. Think about it. 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Come on. You, you know my great-grandparents and my grandparents? World War I, Spanish flu, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. We can keep going. And yeah, I know Desert Storm was horrendous, but it didn't cost us what that generation paid. And so we need to learn how to stay led by the Spirit and know that regardless of what happens, God and His sovereignty is in control. And as, and as long as you and I allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit through prayer and through the reading and application of Scripture over our lives, and as we surrender to the will and the purpose of God in our life, no matter what happens, no matter what comes at us, no whatever no matter what God allows in our families, in our businesses, in our jobs, in our careers, in our ministry, in California, no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. Not only are we going to survive, we're going to thrive. But it's not because of anything that we do. It's because of the one that we love and our hope is in. Can somebody say amen? All right. Number three. Is this okay? Number three. Now, some of you aren't going to like this, so let me just take a drink real quick. Let me say this to you. God controls the timeline. Luke 4, 2, 40 days. Now, 40 in the Bible, if you know anything about that, number 40, right? So 40 for the children of Israel, right? They were in the wilderness 40 years because of disobedience. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. When God destroys the planet in the days of Noah, it rained for 40 days and for 40 nights. When Jesus was led or driven into the wilderness, it was for 40 days and for 40 nights. So numerically, if you study numbers in the Bible, what you'll find out is 40 is the number of testing. Right? So if you're in your 40s, You're going to be okay. <laughs> Come on, that was a good place for you guys in the 40s just to clap your hands. Because, man, it's been, how many people in the 40s said, man, it's been a rough year, Pastor. It's been, it's been rough. You're going to be all right. You're going to be right. Stay spirit-filled. Stay spirit-led. Right? Know that God is sovereign, that he's in control of everything, but he also controls the time. Now, I don't know about you, but I love to calendar my time. I love to make space when I travel for things that could go wrong. So if, if I'm going somewhere, I usually 
really early because I want to make sure that if I run into traffic, that if I, if, if I, I blow a tire, that if the truck breaks up, whatever, that I've got time to fix it, to respond to it, and to get there. When I was a disciple in the church and growing up in the church, or not growing up in the church, but being discipled in the church, if I wasn't at church an hour early, I was late. And so I came an hour early because I, I wanted to prepare my mind to receive. I wanted to prepare my heart to, to receive. We had an open prayer room, which I believe we need to have here in our church, uh, a, a, an opportunity just to come together in prayer, to prepare our minds, prayer hearts to receive and then if, if if i could serve in any way you know if i was calendar to serve i was there an hour early if i wasn't there a calendar serve i lived by this creed that i am on all the time in season and out of season if my pastor needed me if our leaders needed me i was ready to serve if somebody didn't show up i would step in because i was good with god i was strong in christ and i would rather give up my seat and see somebody else blessed because i was already living in the blessing of heaven right and so so time was very important to me when i went to my shop in hollywood and i worked and i owned that shop in hollywood I'd get there an hour early. I worked six days a week. We'd be open for 12 hours a day, but I'd get there early to pray. And then after I got home, we know that that traffic was crazy on the way home. So it was a long day. And I made time for my wife, made time for my family, made time for their baseball and their softball and made time for, tra- time for me is very important. Come on. How many know time is money, right? Time is a commodity that you'll never get back. Right? It's a very valuable commodity. And so I love my time. I love my time with my wife. I love my time with my kids. I love my time serving God. I, I, I put aside Thursday and Fridays to specifically study my Bible and, and to prepare for Sundays and to do as much research and to glean as much as I can in order to give you what God's put on my heart for our church. And so time is very valuable to me, as it is to I know all of you. But I also know this, that, that in some ways I'm also a control freak over my time and I don't like to waste time I like to invest my time but I'm reminded that you know time isn't in my hands all the timing is in his hands I remember just not a couple weeks ago um, thinking about the house that we're that we're trying to build right now and and it should have been done you know four or five four months ago and I'm just sitting there and I'm just thinking to myself, man, it's getting harder and harder to finish this. And, and I'm trying to do everything I can to cut the time, right? Because time is money. So the more time you have people hired on to work, the more money it costs you. And so it's, it's now hurting, right? Because now it's costing me. And I'm, I'm reminded that even though things don't work out in my time, in my time, because I want things yesterday, like, somebody asked me, you know, hey, you know, hey, when do you need this done by? Two weeks ago. That's my response all the time. Because I'm one of those kids that didn't want to wait. You know, I grew up in a Hispanic household, so of course, you know, it was midnight, 12 o'clock midnight. Right? You can't open presents until 12.01. Like, and I was just like that kid that was just bothering and whining and complaining and crying. You know, please, it's 10 o'clock, it's too long. <laughs> well, my present. I think a lot of us as Christians, I think, I think we don't give God the time that he needs to have in order to fulfill what we need to be fulfilled in our lives. We want it in our time, not necessarily in his time. 
And I'm reminded that God allowed Jesus and drove Jesus into a time of testing. And I know a lot of people are asking, what's the, what's the timeline for the coronavirus? We have absolutely no idea whatsoever. It might just be one of these things that we learn to live, live with, like the flu or the cold that nobody else has been able to figure out on how to heal it. It's interesting. We've, we haven't been able to figure out cancer in 100 years, but in a year we've been able to figure out the corona vaccine. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other time. But we have absolutely no idea, right? What if instead of looking for an end to this pandemic, what if we look for the beginning of what God is preparing us for? What about instead of looking so intentionally and so intently on what this news media says and that news media says and this social media expert says and Dr. Fauci says and this other one says, what, what, if, what if we just put that to the side and say, God, no matter how long it takes, how do you want me to live in the midst of all of this? How do you want me to love in the midst of all of this? How do you want me to serve in the midst of all of this? Because it doesn't matter whether we're in a pandemic. It doesn't matter if we're dealing with lepers like they did in the back in the day, right? We still are supposed to be who we're supposed to be as the children of God. Regardless whether we have freedom in the United States of America or whether we're living under communism in China. We are still the body of Christ, and that doesn't affect who we are in Christ. So the timing of it doesn't really matter to us as Christians as much as it matters to a lot of other people because regardless of whether it's good, bad, or ugly, we're still supposed to be a shining light. We're still supposed to be the salt and the light of the earth. Am I talking to anybody, right? Are you ready for what God wants to teach you during this time? Because God was doing something inside of Jesus when he was being tested by Satan. And I guess the question that I have for you this morning is, do you really believe that God is sovereign and he's still in control? Do you really believe that he has allowed us to experience what we're experiencing because he's building something in all of us? Will you allow God to control your decisions? In this season that we're all living in together. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Let me say this to somebody here. What you're carrying right now isn't yours to carry any longer. Jesus said, listen, I love you. And I want you to cast all your cares upon me. Because I love you. I care for you. And it's not for you to carry around in life. It's not for you to harbor. It's not for you to deal with on your own. He says, just cast all your cares upon me. You know what I've learned? Even as of recently, it just reminded 
I love it when God reminds us of things. Is that no matter how I feel or how, how much I feel the assault of the enemy, whether it be through some kind of demonic activity or whether it be him using people to come at me foul, I can't carry the weight of all of that. I'm just a human being that loves God and loves you. That's who I am. I love God and I love people. And I don't get it right all the time and I don't have all the answers and I'm not perfect in any way and I hope that I've never come across that way. What I do know is that there are things that we all carry that are not ours to carry any longer. And some of you have been carrying things far too long and you've allowed them to weigh you down and it's caused your emotions to react in ways that is ungodly. It's caused you to make decisions that are ungodly. It's caused you to do and say some things, maybe even post some things that are very hurtful and harmful for the body of Christ. And we don't give the enemy any place in our life. Come on. If we give anybody the space, if we give anybody the room, it's going to be the very presence of God. But we need to recognize that we can't handle what we're going through by ourselves. We have to give it to God and say, God, it's not mine to carry anymore. I don't want to harbor this. I don't want to protect this. It's not mine to become bitter in, Lord God. I'm going to give it to you because I can't handle it. I can't live with it. I can't, I, I can't process it. I don't, want to, I don't want to have it in my heart. I don't want to have it in my mind. I don't want to have it cause me sleepless nights. So God, I give it to you. And you know what ends up happening is I start to walk with some more joy, with some more pep in my step, with more focus, because I'm not anxious about what everybody is saying. I'm not anxious about what everybody else is doing. I'm not anxious about what everybody says I should be doing and shouldn't be doing. I only care about pleasing one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I just believe that if we can learn how to cast all of our cares upon him, man, we can walk in the power that he's made available to us. Jesus knew that God was in complete control of the timing and he surrendered every moment of his wilderness experience to God. And we would do well by not putting a timer on God when we go through what we go through. Now I've been with you on this. I've said this many a time. God, when is it going to end? And I'm not just talking about the, the pandemic. I'm just talking about everything else in life. When is it going to end? Like, when are we going to get to finish what we started? When are we going to get to step into what you promised us? God, when are we going to be able to grow beyond the four walls of Lawndale again? When are we going to be able to see more people? Like, when somebody, a, a pastor friend of mine that's on the East Coast wrote me last night. He goes, hey, Eddie, what are, you, what are you expecting God to do in church tomorrow? And I told him, I'm expecting God to invade this space and to touch every single one of his children. I'm expecting to see people online being blessed by the living word of heaven. I'm expecting freedom and salvation. I'm expecting restoration of families. Restoration back to the call of God over their lives. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for a, a restoration over families with their 
with their loved ones and their children and their children back to their parents because we're living at a time of cancel culture, cancel everything. God doesn't want us to cancel our love for one another. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. The psalmist wrote in 27.14, Wait on the Lord. Look at somebody tell him, wait. Wait on the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord. And Jesus resisted the relentless temptations of the devil as he waited on God. The Bible says for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to be bread. Now remember, this was a long time to be alone with Satan. Cravings that Jesus had represented physical hungers like food, drink, the will of God. But I also believe since he had gone through everything we had ever gone through and yet remained sinless, I do believe that Satan tempted him with all of sin and everything that sin represents. Because he craved it because he was hungry. Listen, Satan will always use what you crave against you. If you crave relationships, he'll use that to see you fall into fornication. If you crave the peace of mind for many people, they go back to medicating themselves or drinking more than they should. If you crave attention, he'll bring people around you and friendships and promotions that will eventually come against you. If you crave financial stability, he'll use the love of money and the pursuit of money against you. If you crave purpose, He'll use social media as a comparison tool to show you how jacked up your life is and how perfect everybody else's is. If you crave physical fitness, he'll sell, he'll sell you on an unsustainable lifestyle that will only leave you more broken at the end. Now listen, I don't have any problem with you being physically fit. I mean, I am the epitome of fitness. I just bulk up for the winter. Where's my girl at? Where's... <laughs> but the, mas the devil is a master at tempting you when you're weakest. So right now, if you're, you're craving more finances for your, for your family, guess where the assault is going to come in? If you're craving relationship with another human being, guess where the assault is going to come in? The transporter of the assault on your life knows what you crave. If you crave any of these things, the enemy wants to use them against you. When you're starving for something, you'll eat just about anything to make that pain go away, even if it's not good for you. But I'm reminded of what the psalmist says as we close. Chapter 50, verse 23 says, But, give thanks, but giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. If you keep to my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. So the Holy Spirit leads God, leads Jesus in the wilderness. The Holy Spirit leads us. Secondly, Jesus knew that God was in control over the whole situation all the time. 
that in God's sovereignty, he would work it out for us. I love what Paul said when he said in Romans chapter 8, he says, for all things work out for the good to those who love God. Here's the caveat. And are called according to his purpose. God leads the situation. Lastly, God controls the timeline. So how do we get to God's path? The same way Jesus did. Jesus said, or the psalmist wrote in Psalms 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. In the, the temptation of Christ, in the wilderness experience, four different times that Satan came against Jesus, the very first thing that Jesus said in response to Satan was, it is written. He never said, well, I think this is what brother so-and-so said. He didn't say, this is what Dr. Phil said. He didn't say, this is what Oprah Winfrey said. He didn't say, this is what Donald Trump said. He didn't say that this is what Kamala Harris said. He didn't say, this is what Fauci said. He, no, no, no. He said, it is, it is written. And so whenever we go through what we go through, we don't go by what the world says. We go by what the word says. It is written. So this is the way Jesus stays on the path. Because he allows the Holy Spirit of God to lead him by the very word of God. Listen, we will never win in the wilderness without the word guiding us and the spirit driving us. Let me say that again. We will never win in our wilderness unless the word guides us and the spirit drives us. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. John 6.63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And lastly, in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and the discerning of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. If you're going to win, in the wilderness, you need to stay spirit-led. You need to stay submitted to the holy presence and spirit of God. And you need to allow the word of God to guide you and direct you in every temptation and circumstance that you experience in this wilderness experience, in this quarantine time. God wants to build you. God wants to grow you. God wants to equip you. God wants to pour out into you. But you have to be prepared to receive. Now I wonder if there's anybody in this room right now that would say, I want to receive from heaven the direction that God has over my life. And if that's you, we're going to pray. So I just want you to stand to your feet real quickly. And we're going to close this time together. And I just pray that as we close off this year strong, we don't have to close off this year in weakness. We can close off this year in strength. Right? We don't have to run from a fight. We could run to the fight because we have God before us, God behind us, and God within us. And if God is for me, come on somebody, who can be against me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your living word. God, I pray that you would continue to lead us and guide us and direct us and baptize us in your fire, God, as we are led by your word and by your spirit in this season of quarantine. We will not fail. We will not falter. We will not withdraw. We will not give up. We will not give in, but we will surrender to the very leading of the Holy Spirit and do exactly what you have commanded and called us to do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, come on. 
Amen.